Tonight, we are going to be in the book of Nehemiah, and more specifically, we're going to be in, the, in chapter 4. Uh, so, a little bit, kind of a little bit of a goal, what, what we're going to try and do tonight. So, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about, and we're going to look at, seeing as tonight is Wednesday night. So, normally, usually, I would say anyone who is here on a Wednesday night, or anyone who is... Um, going to listen to this later on you're more than likely you have a heart to do a little bit more you're you have a heart to do more than a little bit more than possibly um, seeing what the lord is doing listening to what the lord is doing praising alongside of what the lord is doing but you have a heart to get your feet wet you have a heart to get your feet dirty you have a heart to get your your knees scuffed up you have a heart to slam your thumb with a hammer on a work day, right? You, you have a little bit of a heart to serve, to do more. Um, and so that's actually what a big part about what Nehemiah, what we see through his life and with Nehemiah 4. Now, with that being, um, <clears throat> there is and has been in the life of Nehemiah and in the life of Israel to this point since the first returning under Zerubbabel, and then Ezra, and then now Nehemiah. So a third wave, there's a lot of opposition that's been going on. So there's a lot of opposition to the work that the Lord is wanting to do, and a lot of opposition to what the Lord um, not only is wanting to do, but has done. And so I think that all of us can agree that that is something that is very familiar to us in our life, is that we start and we want and we desire to do something, but it's just constant, a, a almost opposition that is constantly hitting us. So, um, so that's what we're going to look at. And there's three main things, um, I guess you can say four almost, four burdens that Nehemiah called that we're going to really look at. First of all, Nehemiah called a burden for the temple of the Lord. Second of all, Nehemiah called a burden for the city of the Lord, Jerusalem. Third, Nehemiah called a burden for the wall that surrounded the city, the wall that would protect. Fourth, Nehemiah called a burden for the people of the Lord. So we're going to look at that. I want, I want you to really focus and I want you to really look at and see and dive deep and kind of really catch the things and the themes as we go through. Catch how the... Um, Catch the themes of the burden for the temple of the Lord, where the Lord dwells here on earth. Catch that theme. Catch the theme of the, the city where the Lord wants to do his work. Catch the theme of the wall where the Lord wants to protect and equip from within side. And then also catch the theme of the people that the Lord wants to use. Right. So I would say... Let's focus on that as we're going through. You guys ready? So let me pray. Father, just uh, thank you for this time. Thank you as we are getting into your word. Um, Father, just speak uh, as you have through your worship. Uh, speak and as you have spoken of just who you are and how you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise. And also, Lord, have you spoken through our fellowship and our time together, our time of, of just loving one another. And so, Father, I also just ask that you will speak through our time of the Word. May you just speak a 
just a message to each one of our hearts into our, into our days that we've had. Speak a message of hope. Speak a message of what it is that is most important to you through this text. And Lord, we just ask that you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, with Nehemiah, I'm going to take a sip so I can hit the roll. So, with Nehemiah, we don't know much prior to the book of Nehemiah. Um, it is pretty much undisputable that Nehemiah did write the book that entitles his name, but we don't know much about him, not before the words in Nehemiah chapter 1. But what we do know that can actually speak a lot to who Nehemiah is, is we know that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire. Uh, this selection of being a cupbearer, it's a person that a man would have to be, a man would have to be a wise, wise and discreet and consistently honest and trustworthy. A man, almost you could say above reproach. It would have to, a cupbearer's role would often go much further beyond the vessel that he would hand a king, much further beyond the table of which the king would eat from. But it would go and it would serve the king. They were through very often discreet messages, and he would oftentimes be a discreet messenger, that he would take messages from the kings discreetly to other um, allies, possibly to other kingdoms. And he was an informant for the king at times, as well as a dream and vision interpreter. So he would have a very close ear to the king. Nehemiah's position alone reveals much about his intellectual capabilities, his emotional maturity and stability, as well as his spiritual status. Nehemiah, as we see in Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah called a burden for a desire of the work of the Lord. Uh, if you remember Nehemiah chapter 1, um, Nehemiah was familiar with the Word of God. And so therefore, he was able to catch a burden for the Word. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, Nehemiah had, he was very familiar with the commands that God had commanded Moses of not turning to idolatry, not turning away from, from, um, from the Lord. And in verse 9, of Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, verse 9. But if you return to me, says the Lord, and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So Nehemiah is recanting. Nehemiah is praying. Nehemiah is asking for this to be that kind of time. Lord, bring the people back. Bring the people back. Keep your word. May this be that time that it is. So what would be something that the Lord would have revealed to Nehemiah? We know that he called a burden for the heart of the city, a burden for the heart of the, the wall, the people, the temple. Well, with Jerusalem, the burden that he would have called would have been not that it's not just some city. The city of Jerusalem is not just a city that's just sitting there and is just waiting to be inhabited or something. The city was, was where all the things, all who were looking to worship the one true God would come. Anyone looking to worship God would go to the city of Jerusalem. It was a city which the complete will and purpose of the Lord would be completed in. 
It's not just um, a few hundred years after Nehemiah. So it's not just Nehemiah and then a few hundred years later, Jesus would, would walk through that city. Jesus would be uh, crucified on the cross. He would be resurrected. He would, sh he would be shown throughout the city days later. But also, it is the city that would proclaim that God is still not done with anything of this world. <clears throat> and we saw that about 2,000 years later, a couple of thousand years later, when Israel's returned back, the nation of Israel's returned back. But also for us, looking forward, we still see that God's still not done with Jerusalem. God is still not done with the importance of the city of Jerusalem because God is still, Jesus is still going to sit there in his millennial reign. So the city, the city is very important. A city is very incredibly important with anything that the Lord is ever wanting to do. Next, look at the temple. It wasn't just a building. It wasn't just something that was kind of placed there by a king or a ruler or a Caesar. But what it was, was it was the present dwelling place of the Lord between the cherubim, where God would meet with man. So in anything the Lord is wanting to do, where he is is very important. Where he is, where he's located, where he is spending time, and where he is indwelling with man is always incredibly important. Not just the city, but also the temple where the Lord dwells. The walls. The walls of Jerusalem were not just an aesthetic and something that blends into the surrounding and the cliffs. A place for the king of, or governors of the city for their treasure to feel safe. That's not what the purpose of the walls of Jerusalem were. No, they would house, they would protect, and send out people with a purpose to herald God's name. They were to house weary travelers and refresh their souls and news of a God unlike the one in their homelands. The walls of anything where the Lord is doing anything, the importance of those walls need to be one to where they're housing, they're equipping, they're providing a safe haven for people to come and to receive and to learn of the Lord, and then also allowing them to go, come and go freely. That's what the importance of walls are. And that's something that is an importance that the Lord would have shown Nehemiah. Blasting through uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 real quick, we'll see that... Oh man, we got so much time. So Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, so what we see here is that when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, heard of that someone had favor, someone had um, a desire for the city of the Lord. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So Nehemiah begins immediately with facing opposition as soon as he gets there. How many of us in our own lives, how many times whenever we're starting out with something, how many times when we start possibly a new job, how soon do you meet opposition? When we are starting a new marriage, how many times do we immediately almost feels like we start opposition? We're, we meet some kind of opposition, something that we want to do. Maybe our kids, we wake up in the morning and our kids are, oh no, opposition. <laughs> or we, they feel like it. And our, our children, children are probably looking at us like, you oppose me. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you throwing the covers off of me? So, but it's immediately, immediately Nehemiah finds opposition when he arrives. 
And Nehemiah, the vision that the Lord gives Nehemiah is where the opposition is grounded, is where the opposition is faced. And it's what the temple would one day be again, and what, the, what Jerusalem and her walls would one day be again. So maybe if, if the opposition possibly that you're facing in life, perhaps it's something that it feels like you're coming right back around to. Perhaps the opposition that maybe you're getting back involved into a church. I don't know all of you. Um, some of you are newer faces, some of you are not. I do know many of you um, came from points to where you're coming back around to the things of the Lord. But the times, or think back to the times to when it was. Times to where when we are back around and we're coming back around to the things of the Lord, and it's like immediately there's just opposition. And there's, there's something that the Lord is wanting and desiring that the Lord to do through the body of Christ there in your life. Something the Lord is wanting to do with inside of you where he dwells. And then something the Lord is wanting to equip you through the safety and the harbor of where you've been set it up. But there's going to be opposition. Nehemiah 2.12, Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. Nehemiah here, he's fully committed to, and more importantly, not only committed, he is 100% aware of where the call that has been placed on his life, where it comes from. The papers from the king, note this, the papers from the king did not make Nehemiah's calling. That, that wasn't Nehemiah's calling. It wasn't the papers that a king gave him. Nor did the entourage or committee that journeyed with him. It wasn't the protection. It wasn't the king's army. It wasn't the, um, the royal um, bodyguards, you could say. They were not who established the authority of Nehemiah's ministry. And Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 14 and verse 17. Then I went on to the fountain gate went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So Nehemiah is journeying around the gate and he can't pass. It's so bad, the destruction. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Nehemiah here recognizes the devastation that Israel's pride and what the peace of the world had done to the walls. That an animal meant to serve couldn't even pass around or over because the destruction was so bad. And where was that destruction? That destruction was rooted in the pride of Israel, the pride of following after other things, the peace of the world, the peace that perhaps tells you, come over here, this is where you'll get peace. Maybe today, um, I guess you can say in our, in our lingo today, the situation where the city of Israel found themselves in is that the world came in and the world said, hey, Birmingham, you, you know what will make you very peaceful? We're going to build up UAB, some medical facilities. This is going to bring peace and prosperity to your city. Well, did it? I mean, has it? We've seen some prosperity, 
but I know many individuals within, all it's done is it's created more anxiety in their life. So the, the peace of the world in Jerusalem, the peace that all of these foreign gods promised to Israel, it did none of that. But what it did is it destroyed where God had intended that people would be built up and equipped and also live in peace and live in fellowship with one another. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Uh-oh. Opposition has grown. So they've gone. There was opposition, and it's continuing to grow. Opposition has grown, now three of them, and they've ridiculed them. Too often, what keeps us from starting the work to repair the breaches in the walls of our family, the walls of the body of the Christ, our worship of the Lord, the call to a particular or general place in which the Lord would desire us to be, too often it's ridicule and pride. But what is Nehemiah's response? Verse 20, So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Good. I'm doing good on time. <laughs> so um, with that, so what is, what is Nehemiah showing here? Nehemiah is showing here that he is well established in the calling of the Lord's of what the Lord is wanting to do. So again, what we talked about, usually who are individuals who will probably listen to this teaching, most likely, or listening online, if that is available, watching online, if that is available, or if you're here. You're probably, you're going to be someone who is wanting more of doing things for the Lord, more of things and hearing that the Lord is saying, I want more of you. I want more of your time. I want more. I want to show you something more. And for Nehemiah, remember that was Nehemiah being called to see the good things and to see Jerusalem prosper back at what it was. So let's look at, remember what we talked about. We talked about the city. Nehemiah had a burden, had a groaning burden for the city of the Lord. Nehemiah had never lived in, in Jerusalem, by the way. Nehemiah was born most likely in Persia, and that's where he'd already always lived. But yet the Lord has planted a passion and a burden for the, for the city, a burden for the temple, and a burden for the wall and the people. So what vision or desire does the Lord want to do in the city of Trustville? What, city, what desire possibly in the city of Birmingham or in the region of North Alabama? What vision or desire does the Lord want to do amongst believers and I would say, let's be very specific here. The believers here at Calvary Chapel, Trustville. What desires does the Lord want to do here? Because look at where Nehemiah is, <clears throat> where he's serving. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Where they're rebuilding. They're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. They're not rebuilding the walls of multiple cities. There's a specific place, a specific um, body, a specific group, a specific fellowship of people. So make this very specific on what the Lord is wanting to do. It's not just, 
a, um, you know, a general like, oh, well, you know what? The Lord's wanting to do something through the, uh, the fellowships of the churches in Trustful. No, he does. He really does. You guys are amazing and great at doing that, serving alongside. But don't ever, as servants, as anything the Lord calls us into, don't ever look at and think, oh, well, you know what? That other church is going to get it. Well, you know what? Hey, we're going to take a downtime this year. We're going to take a downtime this week. I know the Lord's kind of calling us in this, but we're going to sit back. There was a specific calling for a specific people within a specific place, within a specific group of fellowship and specific people. So what does the Lord specifically want to do at Calvary Chapel Trustville? Because we're not talking again about a, a region of Judah. We're not talking about a group of cities around Jerusalem. We're talking about Judah's, we're talking about Jerusalem's walls. What vision or desire does the Lord have and want to do within the place that he dwells? What does he want to do within the temple? Well, he wanted that to be a place of worship again. But with the church, with the body of Christ, how can we apply this to us? Where does the Lord dwell today? He dwells in the hearts of those who are believers. The Holy Spirit indwells within inside of us. He doesn't indwell and live inside of buildings. So what does the Lord want to do within the temple that he lives in today? So now that we have a nice, good, I call this like my bow and arrow. I've just drawn the bow and now we're about to release. You ready? <laughs> I hope you guys are because, whoo, go ahead and take a sip of, sip of a whistle because it's about to, I'm still doing great on time. I was told that Pastor Tyler did have a little escape ejection seat button, and I'm trying to find it this whole time. <clears throat> I've been kind of testing the floors. That's why I've been moving around. <laughs> Just kidding. It wasn't told to me. Um, so, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. I read from the New King James Version. Many may or may not. That's just comfortable for me, okay? So please note, there's nothing wrong with you guys reading from another translation, okay? Just know that. Just know that's why possibly my words are a little more odd. <laughs> so what is it that we see about Sanballat? Remember, he's this key guy here. He's this key opposition. What does it say when, when the... Um, when all this had happened through chapter 3, when the rebuilding of the gates had happened, it says that Sanballat, um, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Sanballat was anger, angry. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Remember with... Um, with Nehemiah in his role as a cupbearer, he would have to be someone a very calm, collective, very patient. So as servants of the Lord, as servants who are called into something that the Lord is wanting us to do, I can tell you one thing, I, my wife can attest to this, I have already been faced with many, many opportunities to exercise a cool, calm, and collective Michael Hagan. Just the other day, I was like, what did you say to me? Excuse me? And 
my wife's like, Michael, just come. I was like, yes, you're right. <laughs> so the Lord is going, that is who the Lord uses. The Lord uses someone who is not going to try and push and force their way into something. Not going to try and force and push their will, but is going to faithfully serve and faithfully be an underservant and an under rower to the vision and mission that the Lord has. Because <clears throat> what would have happened if Nehemiah would have flipped here? I'm going to tell you, I would have flipped on him. It probably would have caused some problems. You know, murder investigation probably would have happened. I don't know. I don't know. Like, but I got my papers. <laughs> papers might have been disappeared really quickly. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, so three times in the Bible, uh, specifically in the Old Testament, uh, the Bible mentions anger towards righteousness. So... So we see here in Nehemiah 1, where there is anger towards righteousness. In 2 Chronicles 16.10, Then Asa was angry with the seer, with the prophet, and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. What is a common byproduct, a common casualty of anger? It's innocent people being oppressed. I don't think any of us want innocent people to be oppressed with what the Lord is wanting to do in and within this body, within this fellowship, within the city, within our family, within our marriage, right? I don't think that, right? So let's be cool, calm, and collected, right? In <laughs> um, Psalms 112, verse 10, the wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. So this is talking about in Psalm 112, um, the Lord is speaking about the one, the, my mind just went blank there. Um, anyways, he's speaking about the blessing and the, the life, the path of a righteous individual and what the Lord will do for those who are righteous and then how the wicked will respond. For one, they respond with mocking. We see next what, um, what Sanballat does. And look back at Nehemiah 2.20. What's um, been Nehemiah's response? Just be calm. Hey, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing what the Lord's called me to do. And I'm not going to get wrapped up with you. 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Again, that's 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. So Peter is calling us to remember and to remind us, don't think it awkward, odd, strange that opposition is going to come our way. 1 Peter 3.14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So Nehemiah did that. Nehemiah gave a hope and a response of, hey, I'm doing what the Lord's called me to do. The Lord has spoken. The Lord has a vision. The Lord has a heart. And I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to fear you. I encourage you the same. Do that. Oftentimes, I think that um, one of the biggest things that will stop us 
from serving the Lord, stepping out and serving the Lord within a body of Christ today is the mocking possibly from family, the mocking possibly from coworkers, from friends. But what does Peter encourage us again? Remember verse 14 and 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Keep that to heart. Keep that to heart. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? So right away we see that, again, the opposition is growing more. Opposition just keeps on growing, keeps on growing. We see the opposition has grown now to Sanballat's brethren, or some translations may say uh, the army, the army officers. Perhaps maybe yours might say the wealthy men of Samaria. But really what this is, is that it's the strength of Samaria. So the strength of Samaria are now joining in with the opposition of Sanballat. So whoever this is, whoever, whatever group it is, it's very strong. And what do they say? They, raise, they, they roll off five, act, five mocking and ridicules. Feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Funny thing that whether they complete the building in a day, my mind immediately went back to this. It was like, well, yeah, actually, about 2,000 years later after this, yes, Israel will become a nation in a day. Thank you for that little bit of prophecy, unknowingly by you. Um, again, no biblical relation there necessarily, just something caught my mind. Uh, and then the fifth one there, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish stones that are burned? And how often is that a ridicule that will keep us oftentimes from serving the Lord, that will keep us from stepping out into what the Lord is wanting to do? Now, I have no idea what y'all's next vision and next steps are. Um, what uh, Zach was sharing with how which all are y'all's next step, what the next visions are, I literally I have no idea, and it's just this is honestly just something that the Lord has been kind of mulling on my heart to share Nehemiah chapter four. The next time I got to teach somewhere, and this just so happens to be that time, and so I was like, oh well, Lord, I guess this is that time, and and it's like, oh cool, but how often? You know, with the things that the Lord wants to do here within the body, within the fellowship, within the city, within your family, within your marriage, within your life personally, how often is it that the ridicule that will stop us is that these heaps of rubbish within our life, all these stones that are clogging up, allowing for passage around the city walls, allowing for us to go around and to and to show to the world the goodness of the city of the Lord, the goodness of where the Lord dwells. How oftentimes is that something? I know for me, that can sometimes be one of those. Like, who am I? How dare I do anything or say anything? Look at what I've just done. Well, Nehemiah, let's, we're going to continue, and he's going to give us some great practical pointers to that. And great practical pointers of what the children of Israel do in order to stop that up. So Nehemiah 4, as we will see, and as we've already seen, is full of opposition. Jesus, uh, let's look at some of his opposition. 
So the Old Testament, we can always look at and see how, yes, Old Testament, 100% real, historical text, data, lots of things happen there, real things happen. And for the church, there's often pictures and types of how God works, how God may move at times, the avenues and ways in how he works. Jesus's life is a demonstration many times and an encouragement and a um, principles on how we are to build our life and how we are to respond. Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 15, Jesus gives a parable about the unfaithful manager. And in it, verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derived him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him that Jesus would give an unfaithful, immoral manager of money as an example to the disciples of how, um, how they are to manage the kingdom of the Lord during their time on earth. So they mocked him. They ridiculed him. And what did Jesus respond? I don't know what you're laughing at because you're the unfaithful people. Um, <clears throat> when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, and when the Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, again, Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, the last um, verses there were Luke 16, 1 through 15. Matthew 9, 11 here. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Matthew 3, 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. And then later on, Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit and, and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit after that. And that was Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Matthew chapter 12 is chalked full of opposition towards Jesus and his ministry. And what, were, what was that ministry that Jesus did? If we look at Luke chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus answered when, when John had asked if you are the Messiah. Jesus answered and said to them, to his messengers, go and tell John these things, have what you have seen and what you have heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And what ministry do we get to continue to enjoy that the Lord has opened up and provided to us? Um, one thing that I have seen personally in my own life what the Lord has opened up there. Isaiah 58, verse 6, speaking about fasting specifically and what the Lord wants to do for fasting. But one thing I've noticed through the, that grace that the Lord gives, Isaiah 58, 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. So there's been constant, as we've seen throughout, and as you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, constant, never-ending opposition to the ministry of even Jesus, even what Jesus did here on earth. Nehemiah 4, 3 now. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, I'm going to say this in a mocking voice, because honestly, I think this is what Tobiah would say. I think of him as like this little squirrel. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Right? He's just this little pest that's sitting there, and he just feeds off of everything. 
that, um, that Sam Ballot does. But with all reverence, Tobias sitting there and he heralds this just ridiculous accusation, just this ridiculous mocking to them. Nehemiah 4.4, 4, hear, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Verse 6, so Nehemiah's prayer there, praying that the Lord will not let these things go unanswered, let these things go uncovered. Verse 6, so we, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So what did they do after the ridicule? Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah asked that the Lord would not let that go by. But what did he continue in doing? He didn't just stop and wait for the Lord to take care of that. He continued in the last thing that the Lord told him to say, the Lord told him to do. Um, so as I had said uh, earlier, um, and also Pastor Todd alluded to, so missionaries, my wife and I, for six years in the Middle East. Before that, I was a missionary to backpackers all over the world for about five or six years. And then I had a different profession for five and a half ish, almost six years. Um, and I'll just let you guess at what that was. But um, the people, so what did they do? They, they continued in the last thing that the Lord told them to do. I remember, okay, I'll go and say it. I remember in the military when I was in the Marines, you always continued from day one, you were always ingrained in your head. You continue the last thing that your commander gives you. If your commander tells you to do something, you continue with that. It's called a commander's intent. So Nehemiah had the commander's intent, and he continued in that until the commander changed the call, until the commander changed and said, this other thing is what you do. And that is how you get, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I can't tell you how many times I sat in from the very beginning, even foxholes with freezing rain, or it had rained, filled up to my ankle, frozen, um, or how many other times in other situations in other parts of the world, and it was just continue doing this until my commander gives me a different order. And how many times I was like, please, a different order right now. <laughs> but it's because of the faithfulness in those things. It's because of the faithfulness through the grievous times, through the mockings, through the ridicules, through the what felt like to me many times they were just hazing us um, in the military. It wasn't that. It was, it was learning um, to be dependable. Um, it truly was. But even in ministry, it's, it's going through the hard times, going through the tough times, being dependable, being faithful in what is needed now. Then the Lord will see once those servants, once they have been raised up for what the Lord has wanted to do, then the Lord says move. Honestly, personally, what I'm hearing the, um, like the work day that's coming up with the construction, kind of finishing out some of the things. The bathrooms look great, by the way. Um, that's one thing you can always tell when... When the Lord is about to do something, you all of a sudden see the bathrooms multiply. <laughs> um, and so I can tell you one thing right now, man. You guys are, whew, you guys are about, 
I don't know what it is, but man, you guys have got something coming up. So, um, but no, but seriously, it's the is there's a call for help. There's a call for need. And who is that that is calling and asking for servants? Who is that is calling and asking for people to get involved in the ministry of the Lord? It's the Lord asking. It's not uh, Pastor Tyler. It's not Zach. It's the Lord asking who wants to stand. And once and by a seeing, by seeing, I can tell you that by leading Marines, by being an overseeing up to squad size groups of Marines, I can tell you that when I saw that my Marines were ready and they were all volunteering at one time, and it wasn't just one or two volunteering to do something, but when all of them volunteered at the same time, I said, you know what? Okay, let's see if they can work well together. And then when they work well together, it's, okay, you guys are ready for deployment. Until the body works together, until, until the, what the Lord needs to be done, and until the servants that are needed to do the next thing, the Lord's not going to move along to the next thing. Can't tell you how many times I've saw units in the military to where they never got to, sometimes even never got to deploy because the, the needs and what needed to be learned and, and the volunteers, the servants with inside of that unit never stood up. And so they never got to deploy. They never got to fulfill the needs that they had so that the next step, they had a full fighting force of everyone that is needed. Because how bad would it be if the Lord sent out, and then let's just say there's only 10 servants that the Lord had, that, that are here, that are ready for this next thing that the Lord has. But what the Lord needs is maybe 100, maybe 50. How bad would it be that the Lord sent out and said, okay, you 10, go. And then it's like, man, we just need the 50. Oh, we should. Oh, man, we really needed that 50. So the Lord is not, that's not all, that's not usually what the Lord does. Sometimes he does. If he really needs it to be done, if he's really wanting it to be done, if he's really wanting to show that how his strength is in there. But really, um, if the Lord's like, okay, really 500 would really make this look great, but I'm only going to let you send 50 so that I can show my work from you. But the church is only ready to give five. And the Lord's like, mm, no, because too much is going to drop through. Stand up and be servants. For the people had a mind to work. So what did they do? They built the wall. Verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being, beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. Verse 8. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. First thing here in verse 7, the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. What needs to happen before the Lord can, before effective worship, before um, effective things that the Lord is wanting to do within an individual's life? Now, the temple had already been built here. Worship had already been restored. But what about that effective, what about that unquenching worship that is just going, um, that is just cannot be stopped. The gaps in the walls 
must be filled. And it's not just the gaps in the walls must be filled, but it's the wall needs to be repaired. So how many, how many, how many times in your life, I know in my life, to where there were things sin in my life to where I hadn't filled the gap there. I hadn't let the Lord say, you know what? I'm closing that. I'm going to take that away from you. I'm going to make sure that you're not returning to that sin. But instead, I don't let that gap get filled. And then I don't let the wall get restored. I don't let the wall get built. So that's another key point. Let's let, as servants, being and exciting and wanting and desiring to serve, let's let the Lord restore the walls. Let's let the Lord fill those gaps. Let's make sure that the enemy can't get through. They became very angry. Good. There's going to be more opposition. So just because there's opposition doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Doesn't always mean you're doing it right either. But guess what? There's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. Verse 8, And all of them, again, they conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. What is always the, the goal and the activity? It's confusion. Nevertheless, verse 9, we made our prayer to our God and became, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. 1 Peter 4, 19, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So they set a watch day and night. It's going to be important. Nehemiah 4, 10, going to we're doing good. So Practical effects, almost I would say kind of some practical effects to some steps um, and some practical steps that come from opposition and some things as we go through this last section. So 410, then Judah, this is an official from within there that was assisting Nehemiah, said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. So what's happening here? Exhaustion. There's exhaustion that's coming. There's fatigue. There's debilitation. There's burnout. So three things here that will always bless, um, that will always be a blessing in our time of serving, in our time of being called. Be aware. Be alert of the things that are going on and going to lead us back into sin. Be alert of them. Three times in Nehemiah 4, we are told that there is so much trash and filth around the wall and that the work is too hard. One time, it was from the opposition, and two times, it's from self-awareness. They were aware of it themselves. They had inspected it. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering, same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So be sober, be vigilant there. What that means is it means don't be filling yourself with your flesh. Don't be going after the things that are sinful. Don't be going after the things that always lead you back into sin. Second thing, just as we need to be aware of who we are and what is going to lead us back into sin, we need to be aware of what is going to take us away from sinning. Know that there 
is something that the Lord has given us to make, us, make it through this world, the exhaustion, the confusion, and everything else. And it's God's peace. As we talked about earlier, Christ, the Lord, God desires to give us his peace. And it's peace that not the world gives, but it's that he gives. John 14, 26 and John 14, 27, um, real quick. So Jesus talks about how he's going to give, his, give the helper, the Holy Spirit. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Again, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. <clears throat> so not only the peace, our grace also gives us the peace that we are not constantly at fear and afraid that God is here to just pound us. We have peace that our opposition is not because, as long as we're doing what the Lord has called us to do, we have peace that the opposition is not because the, that the Lord wants to pound us and crush us. Third one, put ourselves before our programs and what we may think is the most important area, but really isn't the most important area. Remember earlier, just there, um, Judah had said to, Nehemiah had put up a watch, a, basically a 24-hour watch, to where you're always going to be watching, you're always going to be doing. And Judah said, hey, the strength is failing. Be mindful of the people. Let's, let's kind of be aware of what's going on with the people. There's so much rubbish here, and the wall can't be rebuilt. It's be mindful Opposition is hard, right? Here's the, big thing. Here's the big thing about opposition. It doesn't matter, no matter what you're going to have opposition. So the question is, do you want opposition to be because you are following the Lord? Or do you want to be in opposition to the Lord because you desire not to follow the Lord? It doesn't matter. You're going to have opposition. Which one do you want to have? Nehemiah 4.11, and our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your, and your houses. Verse 12 there um, the Jews who had come from around the wall. I know historically what happens is that um, people will sometimes get paid off by the enemy to go and kind of spread fear. Later on, it does say that um, the Lord had squashed the temptation. The Lord had squashed the uh, rebellion or the, the possible offensive that Sanballat was going to do. So not really sure exactly if they got paid or not. Um, 
but that's something that is interesting to me. Uh, verse 14 is the important part. Nehemiah placed them, and what did he say? Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Remember the Lord. As you go out, as you serve, remember the Lord. Remember whatever's coming, whatever season is coming, whatever this vision uh, is that is going on. Remember the Lord. Verse 15, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all, all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Remember that it's God who brought their plot to nothing. It's God who brings anything to anything to amount. Remember as we're serving, remember as whatever the Lord is going to be doing in the fellowship here, remember it's the Lord who, who is bringing that about. It's not Pastor Tyler. It's not you. It's the Lord that's doing that. And be okay with the plan B. Um, so remember earlier, Nehemiah had just said, okay, I'm going to put you all, and then when something happens, you're going to, everyone's just going to come over, and, and we hear that there's this rumor, and so we're going to put everyone at the points of the threats. But we see that Nehemiah is about to kind of enact, I would say, a plan B. He sees how much that was exhausting on the people. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, and more, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. This would be like a dual threat quarterback, right? So this quarterback, if you run at him, he's just going to throw the ball. If you don't run at him, he's just going to run away. He, he's dual threat. He's going to do whatever. He's going to be vice versa. So that's what they were. They became, um, they were capable to build and then also defend if they needed to. They weren't just responding to an event at, at that exact time. Every one of the builders had his sword, sword girded at his side as he built. At the one who sound, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. There were servants who had caught the vision. That's who these were. They caught the vision, and they were well equipped in their swordsmanship. So I can guarantee you one thing with Pastor Tyler: you guys are going to be well equipped in the Word. So the only question for you guys: Have you caught the vision of the Lord? That's it. That's Honestly, when it comes down to it, are we willing to allow the Lord to master the word in our life? And have we caught the vision of the Lord? That's it. That's all you got to do. It's really quite simple. Allow the Lord to take the word and let the word master our life and then just catch the vision of the Lord. That's it. Just wait. Just wait. Catch it. That's all you got to do. I know it's more complicated than that, right? <laughs> Then I said to the nobles, verse 19, the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. How did Nehemiah overcome this? How did he do it? Have communication between one another. As you go forward, have communication between you guys. Have communication between you ladies. Talk, communicate. Talk about what you guys are going through throughout a daily basis. Talk about what, what troubles you're going through. 
Have a group set up, whatever it needs to be. Don't, don't just wait for times of coming to Sunday evening, Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, um, small group, whatever it may be, how, home fellowships. Have a group chat, whatever it needs to be, to where you can call on and communicate between one another. That's how you are going to stay even one step further ahead of the enemy. One step further ahead of whatever temptations, whatever um, opposition may come. Be involved. Have, have communication between one another. Verse 20, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us, our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Notice here, verse 20, our God will fight for us. When we sound the alarm, when we communicate to one another, who's going to do the fighting? Notice that it's not necessarily the person on the phone with you, but it's the Lord's going to show up and fight. Notice that you're not going to be the one to fight the battles in someone's life necessarily all the time. The Lord may do, call, whatever it may be, but remember the Lord is the one who's going to show up in that individual's life. The Lord is the one who's going to show up and fight the battles, fight the opposition that this church will go forward and see through whatever the vision is, whatever the direction is, it's the Lord that's going to fight your battles. So let him do it. Verse 22, at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night, a working party by day. This one is funny to me, because remember these people who were living outside the city, who came back and were like, oh, they're going to attack you 10 times, da, 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 da. Why would you all of a sudden tell servants who were living outside the city, probably near the, um, the enemy, to all of a sudden, oh, hey, guess what? You're not leaving the city anymore. You're going to be fire watch for us. You're going to make sure no one burns down our castle. I don't know. It doesn't say they were being paid off, but man, it sure looks like it. Be cautious. As the Lord is calling and as the Lord is moving amongst you guys in whatever vision, be cautious. Be cautious of anything that may creep in. Whether it be outside opposition that creeps in with a person, whether it be sin within your life, be cautious. Once you realize and, and you spot, don't let it leave the camp. Don't let it leave. Address it. Cool? Make sure that the holes are patched and filled and fortify it. Patch it, fill it, fortify it. Patch it, fill it, fortify it. Patch it, fill it, fortify it. 